kids can be dismissed. There is a youth uh, class on today as well. Scripture reading today is taken from Psalm 139. Lord, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high, I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If, my, if I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. For you formed my inward parts, you knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God! How vast is the sum of them! If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake, and I am still with you. O oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God, the men of blood, depart from me. They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. I do not hate those. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them my enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous ways in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. The word of our Lord. Good morning. Um, when we're done our communion time together, uh, I'm heading out really quickly. I won't be able to stay for the lunch or even the benediction. I've got a memorial service to do uh, in downtown Vancouver, so in case you wondered why, like, he bolted. Um, so that's most likely the reason. Who knows? I have in my mind, uh, I thought of an old theological statement I was familiar with it before I was at the Presbyterian Church, but the Presbyterian Church is part of what's called Reformed tradition, Reformed theology, and one of their documents of faith from many years ago is called the Heidelberg Catechism. Catechism simply means that the way you're taught something is by questions and answers. Some of you uh, took catechism in a Catholic church or something similar. So the document is, um, is produced in such a way. There's a number of questions and answers. The very first question, those of you who know the Heidelberg Catechism will remember this, it's beautiful. Question one, what is your only comfort in life and death? Answer, that I am not my own, 
but belong, body and soul, in life and death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. That's where the theology starts in the Heidelberg Catechism. I belong, I am known. It's an important uh, place to start, and for me it's a little more uh, encouraging than starting with what was in my head as I began to work on this sermon this week, because that's an old Sting song. Sting from the band The Police and then has a career, a solo career that's been very long. Uh, used to be an English professor, so he knows how to write. But when I think of the concept of being known by God, we live in a world where so many people, institutions, advertisers uh, claim to know us. And it's not even one of his more popular songs. It's not one of the well-known ones, but it's stuck in my head. I remember it. And he's talking about this. He's talking about a person to person, but I can see it as, as uh, the theological implications for it. He says, and when he says computer here, it, has, it sounds like a computer, like the old computers you would use, put those cards in, remember? That's how old I am. Stack of cards, and that's how a computer read things. It's not quite that bad, but he says, run my name through your computer. I have it musically in my head. Mention me in passing to your college tutor. It's got a rhyme. Check my records, check my facts. Check if I paid my income tax. Pour over everything in my CV. But you still know nothing about me. It's true. Psalm 139. It's a key psalm in religious understanding for Christians, in Jewish understanding, in Old Testament, but teaches us things into the New Testament. I last spoke on it here two and a half years ago, uh, but it's something that we need to return to over and over again. You should memorize the psalm. There are uncomfortable parts in it. We're going to spend two weeks with this, and next week we'll spend more time on that concept of judgment that David speaks about in the psalm. Don't I hate those who hate you, Lord? It's, uh, it's difficult language. But you should memorize this psalm and know it because it offers a key concept and a corrective in our faith and understanding that will repeatedly change your life. You have to keep going back to this. We are in a series that we've called Stories of Life and Faith. In fact, I'm just doing two more in this, so we're kind of picking up the series briefly after Advent, and then we're going to go into a Lenten series as we move towards Easter. So it's good to have this one central concept that we are known by God, and then we'll head into uh, the journey towards Easter. But in our Stories of Life and Faith series, we have said that a key point is that the truth and presence of Jesus Christ will be revealed and understood in relationship with people. I'm all into reading theology and studying and all that. But the truth is that concepts of God aren't of much help. They're lived. They're in between one another. This itself has a theological foundation because we're told that in Jesus Christ, God has turned towards humanity. In other words, he has chosen not to be without people. So the best things, the important things, all the things about God are known in relationship with people. You can't understand God by understanding a concept. God is known in relationship. So, I want to spend briefly a little bit of time, and I'll fill in some more of the story, such as I tell it next week, 
but with a couple of good friends of mine that some of you know, most of you know uh, one half of this couple, and many of you would know uh, the other half of this couple who has uh, years ago now uh, departed from us on this earth. And that's Barry and Marg McConnell. Uh, and with my indulgence, I haven't really told her this, but now it's too late, right? So uh, I'm not only going to tell you about Barry, I'll tell you a little bit about Marg as well. I was a kid when I met Barry and Marg. It was at Delbrook Baptist. Uh, sometimes now, actually often, I ask myself, how must it be to listen to me say things about God when you knew me as a teenager? And Marg did remind me this morning, she said, yes. Uh, she didn't know I was going to say that part, but she said, which fits into this line, she said, I remember you when you were just a kid and you were ridiculous. <laughs> she said it in a very loving way. It was very loving. She said, you used to cause so much trouble for Dan Cochran. And somehow when she said it, I smiled and still felt proud. <laughs> I'm so grateful to have known Barry and to know Marg. And they, and now Marg represents for me an example of the body of Christ, how we together are part of the body of Christ. Because over the years, it came clear to me that in some ways we're very different. I'm talking about Marg and I particularly now. Um, I could whisper it to you so Marg doesn't hear. Okay? Like we don't always think the same in terms of politics. Our view of the world. I've had a kind of confession in my prayers sometimes when I pray for Marg. And this isn't a sanctified feeling. I'm not saying it's right. It's something that is for me, not for Marg. But I can carry this feeling, you might identify with this, that sometimes you feel like you're disappointing people and you don't even really speak about it. Sometimes that might be because you have different views of the world and you think they want you to sign on for something and you're not all in. Um, oh, I'm gonna tell this, okay? I'm gonna tell a Marg story. One Marg story? Good, okay. So this gives you a sense of how different we can be. For ministers, one of the things that can be challenging is <laughs> don't stop being who you are, by the way, okay? But is before church, if you get too much issues. So people, like 10 minutes before the service starts, can I talk to you? And you know it's something like, uh-oh, right? Because emotionally and spiritually, you're trying to be in a space. And, and Mark, I remember a number of years ago, we had this catering group, some of you would know the catering group, that used the kitchen on like a Saturday night or something. And I'll put this really nicely. They didn't always clean up super, super well. Marg's nodding her head now. And Marg would often tell me before the service, they were here again and they didn't do this right. And, they were. and this was happening a few times. And I, then I remember one time in the foyer, now excuse me if I'm not getting this story exactly right. Marg can tell you the actual story later. But anyway, um, Marg comes up to me and she's really, really upset. She's not the largest person in the world either. So that kind of adds to it, right? That energy, and I knew she's upset about something. And she was, and she said, Todd, can I talk to you? I said, okay, I'm just heading, to, okay. And she goes, cookie sheets. I'm like, what's, what's wrong? There's more cookie sheets missing. It's that catering group. And I'm, I'm sitting there, and then I did this terrible thing, but then I realized maybe the Lord was in it. I thought to myself, what's in my head? Should I say it? And then I went, yeah, I think I will. And you know how the story ends. We're still 
friends, wonderful. But I said, Mark, okay, I need to stop you. She's telling me that there's more cookie sheets missing. These big kind of cookie sheets, right? Do you know the type? So I said to her, and some of you will judge me for this, and that's okay. I said, Mark, let me tell you something. She said, yes, looking up. And I said, honestly, I said this. I said, I don't care. <laughs> and she stood there, and I said, I'm really, really happy that you care about the cookie sheets. Because if nobody cared about the cookie sheets, they'd all be gone. If it was up to people like me, we'd never have any cookie sheets. <laughs> but I don't really care. <laughs> the wonderful part is, the Lord used that. We can laugh, we chuck, and we need both. So when I speak about Barry, I remember Marg. And I'm telling you about Barry just briefly here this morning because he's one of the people I think of when I read Psalm 139. We're told of David. And of course, you know the stories of David and how he's described. We're told that David has a heart after God in Scripture. He's, Jesus will be referred to in some uh, portions of Scripture as the son of David, sitting on David's throne. David's a key character. But David was also arguably a bit of a mess. I'm not, by the way, in this comparison saying, Barry is like David. I'm teaching you something, I hope, that I see in this psalm and that for me prayerfully comes out when I consider Barry. David arguably was a bit of a mess, and he frees us from the idea that the Bible offers us lessons. I mean, there, there are lessons in Scripture, but you can't take David's life and say, be like David. I mean, in some ways you can, but you've got to be careful about that. However, David saw his life and himself in relationship with God. He would sin and sin well, but he recovered quickly. He acknowledged his shortcoming in his sin. He is a picture of what it means to trust in God, though at times he struggles to find that trust. And here in Psalm 139, he asks and answers a question. And it's centrally important in a spiritual life. He asks and answers a question, and this is the question. Am I known by God? But the question is so quick, the answer comes so quick, that the whole psalm is, I am known by God. It's a crazy and presumptuous question in religion. And for most religion, it would be almost offensive. Am I known by God? If God knows us, he knows us like someone knows the details of our lives, like a computer, like he can keep track of your sins. He knows what you've done wrong. He knows what you've done right. It's like a big glorified Santa's list. But it's not personal. And most religion would be offended by the idea that the creator of the whole universe knows us personally and intimately. That's not a religious concept that works across uh, faiths. And even in the Christian religion, I'll separate that from the Christian faith, we can have ideas of God that are impersonal. Am I known by God? So let me tell you a little bit about Barry. Some of you would remember Barry. He was big and strong and handsome. I think maybe, I don't know this for sure, and I didn't ask Mark because I didn't want it affirmed or denied. I think maybe that it's possible that at times he could get grumpy. He was not, at least to appearances, touchy-feely. 
right? I don't think he spent his Sunday afternoons reading poetry, did he? No. And he was not, in my knowing of him, demonstrative with his emotions. As Mark still gets here early, it was, for those many years, Barry and Mark getting here together early. And he did stuff around here. He fixed things. I saw a light bulb out in the hall by the, where people can hang their coats up here. It's really dark there right now. Barry would probably, maybe even in the middle of a sermon, Mark said, he would get up in church and just go and leave. And I'd say, where are you going? And, she, and he would say, I'm going to go fix the light bulb. He did things. The dolly that we used to move the chairs, he made that, didn't he? And he made this that I'm standing on. If you've been here early enough or late enough to see the, the front doors on the church open or closed, the ones that go and then down to, the, to 19th Street, uh, it was usually Barry that was opening or closing those doors. And so now, and I think this is prayerful, whenever I do that, and it's not always me, most often not, but sometimes it is that I'm putting those clips to lock or unlock those doors, I think of Barry. As I say, he was not the type well, he wouldn't be the one who prayed long prayers. He could speak of his faith and of God. He prayed. But he wasn't likely to offer lengthy theological pontification. Doesn't mean that he didn't have opinions. He most definitely had opinions. And it doesn't mean that he wasn't thinking of others. Most Sunday mornings he would find me in my office. Mark still does the same. But back then it was Barry and he would come and he'd have a comic cut out from the Vancouver Sun or something BC, do you remember that comic strip? something like that, just one little square, one panel something that he found funny and he thought of me maybe others and he brought it along, cut out from the paper sometimes in our lives we can do this seemingly kind possibly loving but potentially terrible as well. This is our human condition. Potentially terrible thing. We can treat others around us, and sometimes those that we love the most. I'm not saying Barry did this, but this fits into the concept of being known by God. We can treat others around us, and sometimes those we love the most, as if we want them to be something else, or something different, or something more. So someone who shows up at church and dutifully goes about their business but doesn't get into big, long theological statements or prayers and isn't the most demonstrative, it can be that people might think, well, why, don't, why aren't they something else? And in a religious setting, what can happen is if you don't consistently talk about God verbally and out loud, if you don't pray eloquently, an assumption can be made that you don't think about God very much at all or don't care about God, and of course this is not true. The psalm teaches us a very important truth as a prayer, that the key in Christian faith is not our means of getting to know God. That's not where we start, getting to God or getting to know God. The key is an awareness that we are known by God. And David declares this here over and over. Religious enterprise by its very nature seeks to teach people how to get closer to God. Do these following things. But if it, 
forgets and doesn't start with the truth that we are first known by God, then it sets us off course. Christianity, Christian faith at its best, starts with and is infused by the truth that God gets to us. So as I pray for Barry, the, way, the thing that I pray is I pray prayers of gratitude for his life as I knew him. I say, thank you, Heavenly Father, that now he is fully known, but that Barry in this life was known by you. It's a blessing. 1 Corinthians 8, 2 and 3. This is in the context of a bit of an argument and it says, if anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not know as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, he is known by God. See how the corrective happens? In the incarnation, God becomes human and enters the world. So we are not left alone. But in the cross, in the crucifixion, and the resurrection, God sets things to right, defeats sin and death, and restores relationship. Religious understanding can have an idea that God is impassable. What that means is that he's not affected by us, right? And in some ways, as a concept, this theologically can help us. But the truth is, as you read scripture and know scripture, you realize that God's heart breaks for people. This is part of his knowing us. You can't read the prophets. In, in the women's Bible study, I think it's changed now, right? But for a number of months, you're studying the prophets, the minor prophets. And part of the key aspect of the minor prophets and, and the rest of the prophetic work is that God's heart breaks for his people, even as they sin. So he'll say things like, that's it. They're like blocks of wood. I'm going to wipe them out forever, totally, completely done. And then the next chapter. But yet, I won't turn from them. I not only love them, I will forgive them. And they will be my people and I will be their God and they'll have a new heart. This is all him being close to us. God's heart breaks. And the direction is God towards us, not that religious enterprise first of us trying to find our way to God. And here's what I want you to know as you pray for loved ones. Some of you understand this, but it's a challenge, isn't it? I want you to know that for yourself and your loved ones, always, always, before you think of what they need to do to get to God, that you are guided by the concept that they are known by God. It's a different starting place. Dear God, would you open the eyes of my loved one that they would know that they are known by you? But it means that I don't condemn them. It means that I long that they would know the heart of God and that you today here would know this first. What's the greatest comfort in life and death? That you belong, that you are known by God. And we would say in Jesus Christ, our Lord, and look here, now go to the song and look at the language. It's almost too beautiful. We'll get to the, mostly the second half of it next week, but look at the language and don't put it in algorithm and don't kill the metaphors. 
Like when, when the Bible uses the metaphor of a sheep, it's not always asking us to, you know, figure out 200 things about sheep. It's saying God cares for us as a shepherd. Here, David is going to say things like, listen, before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O Lord. What does he mean? That God's a magician? That he can anticipate exactly what words you're saying, like it's a quiz or a game? No. That's not the heart at all of what is being said. Rather, as I try to express something, and if I'm trying to express something to you, and we have a real and good relationship, then it means that I'm trying to express something of meaning, hopefully of love, something of benefit. So even here, as I'm trying to express something to you, I know in my faith that God knows that before I even try to say it. And I stammer, and I stumble, but I know that he knows. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O Lord. And then this, you know when I sit and when I rise. Again, it's not God like some security camera, right, that we have now. He doesn't put a camera in the room and going, you know, I know when he's going to get up, he's going to get down. He's gonna, it's, not, it's so much better and deeper than that. You can even extend that metaphor to understand when I sit, when I rise, when I feel enough to be up, then you know me. And when I can't even move, when I'm down in bed, when I'm stuck, you know when I sit and when I rise. And then this, you are acquainted with all of my ways. And then verse 6, such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. For those of you who pray, and hopefully we all pray. You don't have to be an expert. There are no experts, really, in this. But if you've been at prayer enough, you'll know that David is praying this, you know me, you know me, you know me, and then he reflects upon it, and he says, how could it be so great like that? Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain, to understand. That's what he means. And as he does that, you see how that's, He's been praying this one thing, and then he kind of rises above it to give commentary on it. You know my thoughts. You know all these words before they're on my tongue. And then the comment. I can't, Lord, it's too wonderful for me to even begin to comprehend that. And that then analysis allows him to make a turn. So rather than just listing how he is known, he switches the language to say, could I get it anywhere and you're not there? See how the changes. So he says this now, where can I go from your spirit? If I go to heaven, start at the safest place. If you have any concept of God, you would assume that God's in heaven. So David starts easy. If I go to heaven, you're there. And then he does the opposite. If I go to the depths, to Sheol, the Old Testament concept of afterlife and hell and is, well, Scripture doesn't have, in general, a clear, clear doctrine on this. And the Old Testament, certainly, it's, it's not as uh, full as the New Testament's. One of the Old Testament concepts of hell, or afterlife, or was this Sheol, this place of nothing, emptiness, darkness. 
God says, or David says, if I get to Sheol, you're even there. Well, how could that be? So he's gone from heaven to the depths. And then this beautiful, beautiful language. Memorize, memorize, memorize scripture, okay? If I take the wings of the morning, I, I cry at that language. If I take the wings of the morning and I settle on the far side of the sea, and remember this wouldn't be the concept of, you could even have a concept of a, like the edge of the sea. If I go as far away as I can possibly go from anything, then David says, even there. Even there you know me. If I say, and some of you have said this, and some of you are saying this at this point in your lives, or you're afraid that you might get there, David says, if I say, Surely the darkness shall cover me. This darkness will overwhelm me. It will envelop me. If I say, surely the darkness will cover me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. It's astounding, right? There is an intimacy in this. He'll go on to say that he is fearfully and wonderfully made. So simply what I'd like you to know this morning, and as we'll finish the psalm next week, before anything else, before anything else in this life of faith, for you and for your loved ones, seek to know that you are known by God as you pray for your loved ones as you think of your life, this is the declaration of Christian faith, that you are known by God. And somehow, conversion means being awakened to this. Secondly, ask the Holy Spirit to inspire your response. We didn't spend any time on it this week, but we will. David does have a response to this. In verse 17, he says, how precious are your thoughts. In other words, he's not only thinking about God, but now he is trying to understand this in a way that changes his life. He does have a desire to know such a loving God. And finally, this is where we'll emphasize next week. Be great. Next week we get to talk about sin, so it should be full. But finally, David does this beautiful thing at the end of, or toward the end of the psalm, or at the end, verses 23 and 24. He says, search me, Father, and know my heart, and see if there is any offensive way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. In other words, he doesn't do what's so often done in our culture these days. Do you know that you are known and you are the best? There's just everything great about you. And you're unlike anyone else, but you're, and you're special. But they're really special too. And it's just nothing but piling up how wonderful you are. And part of the human struggle is that we know our struggle with ourselves. And so that's those, at times, though they're encouraging, can have an emptiness to them. David offers us a better way and says, I am known by you and you love me. And what that allows me to do is consider if there's any offensive way in me. Where do I need to change? Where do I need to repent? But I can do it because I am known by you.
So we turn to communion, which I'll pray for in a moment. And I want you to try to understand, or not understand, actually you won't understand it, but think about it. That the communion, Jesus Christ giving his life for us and for the life of the world, is the peak of this idea that God moves towards us first. He gave his life that we would know God. And so as you receive, you can pray with gratitude. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for giving your life for me, for the life of this world. We always say you're welcome to receive if you know Jesus Christ or if you would like to. On the night that he was betrayed, Jesus took the bread and he broke it. And he gave thanks. He referred to this bread as his body, broken. We're told in our scripture that in the same way after supper, he took the cup. And that this cup represents the new covenant in the blood of Jesus Christ poured out for the forgiveness of our sins. And we are to remember him as often as we take this. Remember doesn't simply mean to recall or like remember doesn't simply mean to kind of think back upon something that happened. It, it does mean to call it into awareness now. As I remember what Jesus Christ has done for me, I declare it again until he comes. So take this bread and this cup. Ushers can come forward and we'll pray together.